0: Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with more than 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and from Iberia Bank, offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients, serving Louisiana clients for 100 128 years, and now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities, iberiabank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp, Resource Management, LLC, Fidelity Bank, and 30 North Investments.
1: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome
2: to Out to Lunch. There's a line in the movie Field of Dreams that has made it into everyday speech. It's the disembodied voice that tells Kevin Costner, "If you build it, they will come." The reason this line resonates with us is because it's about using our faith, dreams, and determination to build something real. Today we're going to find out how far that romantic notion works as a business model. The Domain companies are building buildings and creating communities from Brooklyn to Baton Rouge. Here in New Orleans, Domain is developing the $250 million South Market District near the Superdome. The principal of Domain companies is Matt Schwartz. Uh, Matt, welcome down to lunch. Thanks. Just a few short years ago, if I said my other guest on today's show is the Executive Director of the Aretha Castle-Haley Merchants and Business Association, frankly, you would have thought I was kidding. Today, it's no joke. OCH is coming back to commercial life and the Executive Director of its Merchant and Business Association is Linda Pompa. Linda, welcome down to
0: lunch. Thanks for having me.
2: Matt, you're rebuilding the South Market District, a mix of residential and commercial buildings in what for decades has been a no-man's land downtown. I assume the $250 million it's reportedly taking to build this is not coming out of your personal checking account. Uh, to get lenders and investors to put up that kind of money, you need to have more than just faith. What do you know about the economic health and the growth of the city that gives you and your investors a quarter of a billion dollars worth of confidence?
3: Well, it's really been uh, something we've seen transition over time. We first started to focus on that area in 2009 as our initial developments along Tulane Avenue, Uh, kind of the projects that we were focusing on post-Katrina as those started to deliver started to do well and throughout the course of that year, we really started to see a shift in the city and the opportunity that that we, we thought was here, shifting from really a recovery economy to uh, an economy that was taking advantage of just a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, across a broad scope of, of industries. And so we started to look for how we could uh, take advantage of that and help to uh, build our business as as those businesses uh, built throughout New Orleans. And now, so Matt,
2: one of the things I see, when in fact you've even mentioned this, is your relative advantage. It seems to be on the financing side. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is that? What what, what mm-hmm. can you do that others can't?
3: Or well, I, I think it's just coming up with with creative structures and and ways to get things yeah. done. Um, you know, New Orleans uh has an advantage in that uh post Katrina a lot of our financial institutions became very adept at dealing with or working with uh new markets tax credits historic tax credits and other incentive programs uh and so we're still seeing the benefit of that now that local expertise and we're leveraging off of that to help us get get our projects financed
2: now what would you say if I know they're all a little bit different but the big project you have downtown right now. What does the financing look like? It's not just you and a a bank. Uh, You've got other equity investors. How how does that
3: work? Well, it shifted over time. Uh, Initially, we were really looking at the type of sources that I mentioned, the new markets credits, which helped us with the first phase, some other incentive programs that um, we actually worked to develop with the state to promote transit-oriented development. And what we felt was happening and uh, what we hoped would happen and what we're seeing happen is that as the market starts to evolve, uh, rents uh, increase, demand increases. Uh, we're starting to see more and more uh, of what we're trying to do uh, as um, uh, workable with conventional financing, and so now we're we're starting to see the financial markets really open up and and generate a lot of interest in New Orleans and what's happening here.
2: Not only New Orleans, but you have quite a track record now. I think that's must be a lot easier to get the. Second billion than the first, I guess. It (laughs) it
3: is.
2: (laughs) Now, Linda, lately we've seen some notable New Orleans streets start up a whole new commercial life. Frenchman Street has been transformed from a laid-back, locals-only hang, to a parallel bourbon street. Ferret Street has gone from a place to get crack or mugged to a place we can get dinner and music. And St. Claude is the new main street for Hipsterville. And now Aretha Castle Haley is transforming itself from an abandoned central city shortcut to a downtown destination. Each of these streets has a slightly different pathology. In your case, how much is the resurgence of OCH planned and how much is just organic?
0: Um, A great deal of it actually is planned. Um, This organization um, has been around since the late 90s. um, And of course, Before Katrina and after, Central City and also uh, the Boulevard, as we call it, um, have been through numerous planning processes. Unfortunately, most of those plans did not have part two, which was mechanism for implementation or funding for implementation. So there's been a lot of planning that the community and stakeholders have been involved in. And um, especially post-Katrina, when um, the, this organization, the Merchants' Association, applied um, to become a Main Street, and then also a cultural products district, um, these, these tools will ha- were helpful. And then there was also an interest by national philanthropy to kind of ensure that some of the existing property owners um, were able to retain their properties and that it not sort of be an opportunity um, for like a land grab which term, I'm sure we heard a lot uh, after Katrina. And so uh, the organization was able to have a staff and do a lot of planning, develop a, con- um, a local concept for the uh, community land trust, which has since come to pass. and. Um, you know, other ways of involving the community in planning and helping the existing property and business owners and nonprofits who are on the boulevard.
2: You touched upon something that I think has got to be the toughest part, and that is the idea of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got to have everybody in this neighborhood buy it. What do you do? How do you, I mean, that's a difficult
0: Assignment. It is. It is difficult. Um, people got a lot of practice after Katrina, but um, it's especially difficult when you do these planning processes, and you take people's time. You ask them, "Oh, what would you love to see happen?" And then there's no mechanism really for implementation, other than really the market. And uh, so it's it's difficult because people are less willing to get involved when they've you know given their feedback there's been various market studies and those sort of things and um, but in terms of community engagement it's it's not really something that's difficult um, I think it's really important to do because you need buy-in um, from you know the neighborhood and you also need to ensure that um, as much as possible that new businesses and enterprises coming into the neighborhood actually serve the neighborhood and are not just um destination businesses. that's what i was going to
2: ask you i mean you know we've seen in other areas down around st rock and such kind of this anti-gentrification uh, sentiment i mean do you face that
0: there are people buying properties there's a lot of flipping going on and there are people buying properties um, who are of a higher income traditionally than long-term central city residents. And so, you know, obviously it would be great to have a balance of neighborhood serving affordable retail and services combined with some sort of destination um, type businesses and nonprofits, So it, it is an issue. It definitely is an issue. Um, now, Matt,
2: you've dealt mm-hmm. with the same thing. You've, you've done some mixed uh, income facilities. How do you get mm-hmm. your arms
3: around all that? Well, I, I think the exciting thing about the projects on, on O.C. Haley, similar to um, a lot of what we've done in Mid-City, is that those larger projects can act as a catalyst for additional development and can really generate the kind of momentum that a neighborhood needs uh, to start to transform for the better, um, I love the mix of what's happening on on OC Haley right now. You know, you have these great cultural products that I think uh, projects that I think are some of the most exciting things happening in in the city today. And when when we've done work in Mid City, you know, we've tried to to reach out into the community and do what we can to to spark those kind of changes. Um, Post Katrina, Mid City, for example, working with uh, St Patrick Park and some infrastructure improvements, some community gardens, things like that to try to affect some of that kind of change before our projects came online um, and that was that was an effective strategy and and i'm I'm very encouraged driving down OC today by by what I see in, in the future for that area
2: I'm trying to think when this all happened the very first place I went to there was cafe reconcile was mm-hmm. that was that kind of one of the anchors there
0: yes. Um Probably the first new investment in the neighborhood was in, I believe, 1998 when Ashe Cultural Arts Center was founded, and then I think Cafe Reconcile opened in 2000. So, um, and there are some existing businesses and nonprofits that been, have been on that boulevard for decades, and so there's always been kind of a lot going on there, but not necessarily the types of businesses or nonprofits that you would walk up to and patronize or participate in. And so I think that's kind of um, the difference. And that's still true in that there are a lot of offices you don't see, a lot of organizations that you don't see that aren't necessarily visible, like a coffee shop would be, or uh, seeing a film at Zeitgeist, which is also another organization that has been around for a very long time.
2: And then about 100 years ago, it was kind of the center for both Jewish and African-American businesses? That's what I, what I read? Or
0: um, the, I think the uh, more African-American businesses came later. Okay. Um, but in early 20th century, uh, certainly, and then a lot of Jewish-owned businesses like uh, department stores, like the big buildings that still survive there, like Handelman's and Kaufman's, which is the building right. that um, Ashe is housed in.
2: While I've got you, Matt, tell me the first project you're working on uh, downtown. It's, it's called Paramount. Is that? Paramount, right. Paramount. And then what um, what's going
3: to be in there? It's a, it is what some retail, some residential? Or sure. So Paramount is actually two buildings that open the, at, at the same time, Paramount and the park. So uh, Paramount is 210 apartments and 25,000 square feet of retail. And the park is another 25,000 square feet of retail. And then the parking for all that first phase and, and some of the, the second phase. So the retail is is really a mix of uh, national home furnishing and decor, apparel and accessories, and then um, some smaller local uh, apparel-related stores, and six new restaurants, uh, the first of which actually uh, have just opened this past month, first two, Blaze Pizza and Ursa Major this weekend. Oh,
2: I do open with a pizza place. That's a good, course, that's so. always a good lead. This is the part of the show where we do the checklist and this is, uh, we'll all take a break and ask you a question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to start with you, Linda. Um, when you were a child, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Was that in you for a long time?
0: Um, Yeah, actually, um, my first venture was with my next-door neighbor, and we actually mowed lawns in the neighborhood. And where was that? Uh, This was outside of Washington, D.C.
2: Now, Matt, what were your career plans when you were in college? I mean, I was thinking back to your class,
3: and just about everybody wanted to go investment banking. What were you thinking? Well, I I actually wound up at Tulane because I was pre-med. Whoa. Uh, uh, (laughs) It's actually how I got to New Orleans. but I wound up taking uh, a financial analysis class sta- cl- uh, slash stand-up routine that, oh, yes, that, that's... <laughs> that you taught, if, if, if you recall. Uh, and I, I found that I was much better at pretending I knew what was going on in that class than I did in uh, organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check our inbox.
2: Our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got?
1: Peter, I have a bunch of questions came in this week. I picked these two, one each for each of our guests. Uh, Linda, this one came from Eve Trow. Who's the news director at WWNO? So, this is a professional question. (laughs) (laughs) For redeveloping streets like Aretha Castle Haley, what's the right mix of new and old tenants, businesses, and institutions?
0: We really like to see um, a mix and think it's a strength that we've got 23 nonprofits represented on the boulevard, and I think probably around 45 or more for profit. Um, businesses, but that includes people who work for themselves, like um, lawyers, consultants, um, people who have offices on the boulevard. You know, I think it it needs to be a nice combination of neighborhood-serving retail and destination retail and restaurants, Um, and I, I think the mix is critical both to maintain the quality of life for people who live in the neighborhood and to also have it be, you know, a great place for people to come, you know, watch a film, go to a jazz performance or those types of things.
1: Matt, here's a question from you that came on to us from Facebook, from Steven Reiser, who asks, the Ninth Ward is largely a wasteland. As a developer, what is an imaginative forward-thinking use of that space?
3: If you look at an aerial map of of the city, you know, the the Ninth Ward is still very well-located, proximate to uh, a lot of the great um, cultural assets and employment centers that we have in the city. And I think, ultimately, as demand continues to increase for housing, uh, one of the challenges that we face downtown is, is there's just a tremendous amount of cost constraint uh, to building you know in, in, in the volume that we need to satisfy that demand you know and I think uh, we still need areas where we could build lower rise more cost efficient housing uh, and that's, uh, that's certainly a, a prospective area to, to do that you know i'd like to ask you if
2: you' um, if you were going to invest in the next great place in New Orleans, where, where would each of you go to? That...
0: Um, I, would, um, I, I would say that there are so many areas of New Orleans that have the potential to um, regenerate or be great places. Whether they're destination places or not, or whether you're just... Um, Trying to improve a neighborhood that exists to bring it up to better standards that the community, um, you know, deserves. So I, I wouldn't uh, think of sort of targeting, you know, a particular neighborhood for for development. Um, but I, I think more can be done. Um, you know, with other areas in the city, you know, aside from you know the key commercial quarters, there's a lot of neighborhoods that that still need a lot of work or could use some basic neighborhood retailer services that aren't quite there.
2: What do you think you're, you're looking for when you say that? Is there a certain amount of like kind of bones that you're looking at, or?
0: Yeah, I I mean I don't think of myself as an investor. Yeah. Um, I you know. But you're
2: hip. You could tell us you know what was going to be <laughs> next. <thing. laughs>
0: Yeah, but uh, actually, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't really think that way. And um, I also, uh, I think that young people and people with discretionary income have an insatiable appetite for new and exciting places. But then when you think about, um, you know, you don't hear much about Oak Street anymore. Or you don't even hear that much about Magazine Street anymore. And whether or not that's because they have you know, matured or we take them for granted, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, moving on to, you know, the next sort of edgy, gritty thing is not necessarily the way I think. Okay. So that's just me sort of, sort of being honest.
2: Very honest. Now, Matt, how do you pick where to develop? I was once meeting with a company that did convenience stores and they were telling me it was traffic and corners and all that. What mm-hmm. about yourself? There's certain things you look at?
3: Right, I mean, I think there's, there's so much that, that goes into it. Um, you know, but I, I think people's uh, preferences for lifestyles today are certainly leaning toward convenience. You know, people want to be close to work. They want to uh, have the amenities that, that they want uh, on a weekday and in the weekend. At, at their fingertips. And so, you know, we've been attracted to those dense urban core areas with great access to public transportation, access to those employment centers and all those amenities, uh, and then opportunity to help create that kind of mixed-use environment. And, it, and the, the young people today, I mean, uh,
2: very different than my generation. It seems like uh, if living in a cul-de-sac and commuting to an office park is their idea of hell. You know, sure. so it's. Uh, I think you're on the on the right right track. Where are all the downtown dwellers coming from, by the way? You know, the people who are moving into your neighborhood. Linda and Matt's where, are they are they from here? Are they coming in from out of town, or some mix? Or
0: I think um, I think there are a lot of people um, coming in from other places, um, and um, you know, they may come from places that are are very expensive, New York, San Francisco, yeah. Washington where, um, by comparison, New Orleans is is inexpensive. And um, so, you know, there's also, I think, the the fact that housing has become very, you know, unaffordable here, that young people in New Orleans, as they graduate from college or whatever, looking for their first home, um, are finding, you know, the already, you know, settled, developed, um, improved neighborhoods to be way too expensive. So... Um, coming over to or coming into neighborhoods that they might not have previously thought about is something that's that 's really happening and it 's um, you know relatively speaking um, you know cheaper than than other parts of the town
2: like for instance you came from washington dc it 's pretty cheap compared to washington
0: <clears throat> it it is pretty I actually moved here from Baltimore but um, it, it it's it 's not affordable for a lot right. of people but compared to San Francisco or New York or something like that, it's, it's definitely more affordable.
2: I have learned a lot today. There's a, now when I, when I get down to your part of town, I'm going to be able to be, a, be that kind of guy at the bar that knows all kinds of history. <laughs> That's how they... <laughs> where the name of the street came from, things like that. That's good. Matt Schwartz, Linda Pompa, we say all the time that New Orleans is changing. There is some debate about whether all the changes we're seeing are for the better, but there's no doubt about the projects you guys are working on. The resurgence of Aretha Castle, Haley Boulevard, and the South Market District are definite pluses for the city. Thanks for everything you're doing for New Orleans, and we look forward to watching the growth in both of your projects, and thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Thank great, you. Great to see you guys. My my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Matt Schwartz, Principal of the Domain Companies, and Linda Pompa, Executive Director of Aretha Castle Haley Merchants and Business Association. You can find out more about Matt's downtown development and Linda's Central City Street by following the links in our websites, wwwno.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, the newly married Jennifer Brady is our researcher. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans-style on Out to Lunch.
1: Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at JonesWalker.com and from Iberia Bank offering comprehensive banking services designed to meet the needs of consumer, small business, and commercial clients. For 128 years, Iberia Bank has served Louisiana clients, now serving a regional base with a commitment to developing people and investing in its communities. IberiaBank.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp, Resource Management LLC, Fidelity Bank, and 30 North Investments.